Today's podcast session is supported by Uphill. So if you ask a therapist who's doing clinical work what the bane of their existence is, usually progress notes are in the top one to two. I'm not naming any names, but when I was doing clinical work, I remember I had several colleagues who would get so backed up on clinical notes, so they would end up spending their nights and weekends trying just to catch up. Honestly, who wants to do that? And this is where Appeal comes in. Appeal is AI-powered case notes. Now, I know for many of us, when we hear the word AI, we're, there's like a natural skepticism. And honestly, I had that skepticism as well until I got to meet with the Appeal team and learn about some of the many ways that they are doing this in a way that is HIPAA compliant and also doesn't sell data to anyone and also protects our clients as well. You can learn more about Uphill and the awesome work that they're doing in the world uh, by going to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Uphill. And Uphill is uh, spelled U-P and then H-E-A-L, all one word. And at checkout, be sure to enter the promo code COUCH25, C-O-U-C-H, and the number 25 to get 25% off your Uphill plan for the first two months. Hey, this is Melvin. We're actually on break from the Selling the Couch podcast, but I thought it would be fun just to share some of the most popular episodes as well as some of my most favorite episodes from uh, Selling the Couch. We've had over 200 episodes now, and I know that for me, listening to some of these old episodes, I always pick up something and learn something new. So I hope that you enjoy today's session. Before we do get to today's session, I just wanted you to encourage you to check out the Selling the Couch directory if you haven't had a chance. Uh, basically, the directory makes it easier for us to connect and support one another as we grow our businesses. So after you register and you sign up, you get a, you can create a profile that lets us know more about your practice, the good work that you're doing in the world, uh, the unique niches that you serve, niches beyond just a traditional DSM diagnosis, uh, groups and workshops and retreats and areas of consultation, all of those different things. And after you fill that out, um, it's actually way uh, easier than it sounds. But uh, after you fill it out, your practice gets placed on a Google map. That way, fellow couchies can find you in order to cross-refer clients. If they need a consult on a certain area, they can do that as well. Um, one of the things that we actually have been working on that I, I'm just like really excited about um, with this recent update is we created a custom cross-refer tool. tool. Um, so if you look on any of these online communities, a lot of times you'll see, you know, hey, I'm looking for, you know, a clinician that that lives in this area, that accepts this insurance, that, you know, works with millennials. And so we thought, why not just make it easy and create a tool to do this? So you basically can run just some filters so you can, you know, ask questions like that. And you click just a, a number of different things and you get search results. Um, and it makes the process of just cross-referring a lot easier. You can learn more about the directory over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash directory. And please enter the promo code podcast for your first month absolutely free. We'll get right to today's session. Here we go. Hey 
Hello, hello. Welcome to session 177 of Selling the Couch. Hope you're having an awesome start to your day. So before we get to today's episode, I'm going to do a little bit of an audible. So this will actually be the last episode of Selling the Couch for 2018. I know that I normally go through at least the week before Thanksgiving, but the truth is that we just had a baby and I had pre-recorded a bunch of different episodes and just with baby duties and her being a preemie and all of the different things, I'd spent a lot and trying to record podcast episodes just to even go through November. It's been hard to find time to do that. And with Selling the Couch, my goal has always been to focus on quality over quantity and and I think just I thought this this last podcast episode would be a, a good place to end because uh, it's a topic I think that many of us have questions about, have struggles. We hear a lot of things online about the importance of niching and attracting ideal clients, but the question I always have in my mind is, well, that sounds wonderful, but how in the world do you actually do that? And today's conversation is with Carrie Nola. Carrie is a dear friend. Uh, it's amazing how something like a podcast had connected us. So I'm in Northeast. Carrie at the time we first connected was living in Florida. Now she lives in San Diego. And Carrie's been on the podcast a couple of times and those episodes have been among the most popular of all of the STC podcast episodes. And I just thought she's a great person to talk about this. And so we are talking all about attracting ideal clients. And we start off our conversation uh, just with a discussion on why is it wise to focus on an ideal client versus casting a wide net? I know that this is something that I struggle with as a business owner of oh my gosh, I need to generate income for my practice. Um, I need to generate income for the business. And so I better cast a wide of a net as possible. And so why that sort of mindset, the error of that? And it's a really interesting conversation. So, and then we jump into how in the world do you find your ideal client? And how do you realize that even if you have a passion for working with an ideal client, how do you know that there's actually demand for that client and that client actually um, needs your services? And then we wrap up just talking uh, just three really practical tips on attracting ideal clients. Uh, Be sure to get your notepad out as there's just a ton of really, really good information. And the show notes to today's episode can be found over at Selling the Couch dot com forward slash session dash one seven seven. So we'll get right to today's podcast conversation. Here's my conversation with Carrie Nola. Hey, Carrie, welcome to Selling the Couch. Hey, Melvin, thanks for having me back. I am so excited, one, because I've just always valued our friendship. And I feel like every time you come on the podcast, uh, there's just so much things that I learn. I usually get messages from colleagues uh, just sharing how helpful that particular episode with you is. And so I'm just so grateful that we are talking today about, I think, something that a lot of us struggle with, which is how do we actually attract clients, the ideal clients that we, who we want? 
Mm, thank you, Melvin, for that feedback. It's We've been together for a long time here, and I'm excited to see what our conversation has to, to offer today. It is an important question, and as I mentor therapists and healers, it's one of the most common ones that I get. How do I attract and connect with the people I actually am here to serve? And I think it can be a scary question as well, because sometimes we're afraid that if we're only talking to one group, are we leaving other people out? So I feel like that's another piece of this conversation that might be worth diving into as well. I'm glad you brought that up. And I'm actually going to make a note there, which, I mean, it brings me to my first question, which I think most people, before they even think of niching or any of those things in private practice, I think we face this dilemma, right? We start a business and we're trying to attract everyone trying to generate income, right? So there's this fear of if I focus too narrow, I'm limiting who I can see, like you said. So my question is, why is it wise to focus on an ideal client versus casting a wide net? Yeah. So I don't know who, but one of my mentors at some point on my journey said this saying that always stuck with me. And it's when we try to talk to everyone, we end up talking to no one. And I think when we think of building rapport, which as therapists and healers, we're all quite familiar with, it's about being seen and heard at a really deep level. And when we select and when we know who we're here to serve, we can actually talk to them in such a direct and and focused way where they feel so deeply seen and heard and understood that it lets them know we're the ones that can serve and support them. And when we're not doing that, and there's just this general energy around the conversation with which we are marketing, nobody really ends up feeling seen and heard. So it can feel a little blah, and we don't have the same results or outcomes from our marketing, typically. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's almost like you're diluting the brand, right? Because I, I mean, I think we've we've all seen this, right? We will go to um, a colleague's website and you see like these general sort of articles, right? Like around depression, anxiety, but it's psychoeducational and it's helpful, but it's not truly like speaking to the one ideal client. Absolutely. And if we think about it from like a physical health perspective, imagine you're having an issue with your foot, and you need it fixed. It's been going on for a while. You don't know what to do about it. You've gone to your general practitioner. They focus on the whole body. They're not really sure specifically about the foot. So they send you to a foot specialist, a person who says, I look at feet all day, every day. I know exactly what's going on. I know exactly how to fix this. I'm here for you. I've got you. Let's take care of this. That There's a level of confidence where you're like, yes, like this is the person I trust to help me fix my foot, right? So if we think about that from an emotional, mental health, wellness perspective, the people want to know that we look at this and sit with people around this particular thing all day, every day. So it means we really understand it and we can help them move toward relief and results more quickly and easily than someone who is a generalist and doesn't necessarily work with this all day, every day. I wanted to go back to a phrase that you said, which I just thought was so beautiful. And I wish I was wondering if we could just expand on it a little bit. So you said our clients want to feel seen, heard, and understood. Mm, yeah. So what I mean, like, and and that makes sense. But I guess how do you do? This is a really silly question, but how do you do that in a, like an online medium? 
Yeah. So the first thing is, is really about knowing it's a combination of knowing deeply who you are as a clinician and as a provider, a practitioner, and also who the client is. And if we think about who we've sat with over the years that we feel so natural and comfortable serving, like the words just just come, or maybe we've had a specific training or experience throughout our career that just makes us the ideal person to support them. We start to hear their voice. We start to remember the kinds of things they say to us when they make that first call. And we can begin to use these phrases in our conversation, in our marketing. And then ideally what we want is for them to call and go, wow, when I saw your website, I was like, how does she know that? How does he know that? And I like to ask questions like, what is keeping your ideal client up at night? What are they struggling with that they're going over and over in their mind with, you know? So I serve healers, for example, and I know that most healers that come to me for support say something to the effect of, you know, I've tried everything and it's just not working. Like I've tried the 12-step plan. I've tried this. I've tried that. And by the time they come to me, they're usually a little tired of all the things they've tried. And now they're a little hopeless. They're like, can this work? Like, can I actually make a living doing the work I love? So I speak to that on my site, right? I say, gosh, you know, sometimes it's so confusing and we feel like we've tried it all. And with a few tweaks, we can get you where you actually want to be. And here's how. And this is what I do every day. Right. So does that kind of start to narrow it down, Melvin? I know I can talk about this for days. Are we on track yeah, here? Yeah, no, no, it does. So like I guess the thing I hear in that is so with that example, there's a level of skepticism, right? So yes. even I take a step back and I think especially I think in the mental health, right, there's this natural stigma, right? And even if someone's reaching out, there are inevitably these roadblocks that they still have to get over, right? And so in that example that you said, the roadblock might be, I've tried everything and there's a skepticism of is what Carrie offers, is this going to be just another thing that's not going to work? Yes, right. absolutely. And you have to, one, I think, point it out, but then to address it and and point out how the work that you do is going to be different. Is that right? Or Absolutely. Right. So it's like, what are the objections or the worries, the fears, the insecurities that your client will have? And this isn't as much of a guessing game as it is real information that you've been given. So I remember when I was building my my psychotherapy practice years ago, I would keep a marketing notebook by my phone. And so as new clients would call, I would jot down the themes. Like, what are they all saying? Because we start to notice that people who call us often say similar things, right? You know, if you're working with depression, you're going to be getting calls like, I can't get out of bed. The things I used to enjoy just aren't exciting anymore. If you're working with relationships, maybe you're hearing things like, you know, we just can't find our way back to each other. We're like fighting all the time. We don't know if this is going to work. We feel like we're on the brink of divorce. Yeah. Like we need to find a way to communicate. So I used to keep this notebook and I would just jot down. What are the phrases? What are the questions? What are the problems they're telling me? And I would turn that into marketing copy on my website. I would ask them, are you and your partner fighting so much when you used to get along so well? This is what I work with every day. I would love to help you find your way back to each other. 
call me for a consultation, right? So we start taking the client's words and feeding them back to them so that this is how they feel seen, heard, and understood. It's such a, the, the marketing book is such a smart idea because I don't know, I think for me, this is something that I struggle with. I feel like a lot of helpers and healers struggle with this, which is this, I don't know if it's like a, I have to really check myself, like this almost false self-confidence, like, oh, I know exactly what they're struggling with, right? But this marketing book, it's like a check on that because you know the language they're using versus you making assumptions about what language they might be using. Absolutely. And it takes the guessing game out of it and it lets your clients write your marketing copy for you, which is absolutely ideal. And you can even put a question or you, yeah, any questions that you have on your intake forms related to symptoms. Um, one of my favorite questions is, and I'm sure many of us are using this in sessions, you know, if we could ma- wave a magic wand, what would be happening in your life? Mm-hmm. Right. And so they answer this question and that is, then we turn that into marketing you know, copy. We talked to them about, you know, after working together, it would be my hope that you experience and you name the ways that their life could get better as a result of your time together. That's like the ideal marketing for the ideal client. It's not a guessing game. It's an actual strategy that we're using. That's also really heart inspired because it's like when I think of our website or a brochure or our directory listing where our clients might be finding us, it's like a housewarming, right? So do they walk in and feel welcome? And if we're talking directly to them and they feel really seen, that's going to touch them in such a deep way that they're going to feel inspired to call you and to let you support them and to hire you versus feeling a little confused about, oh, what does this person do? And am I the person that they help? Like, we don't want them to feel confused because confused people typically don't take action. And we want them to take the action so they can come into your office or (laughs) buy your product or service. That's a great way of looking at it. I wanted to shift a little bit. And again, this might be a really silly question, but I feel like we've talked a lot about using the language that our clients resonate for our clients and really resonate for that one specific client. But how do you actually find your ideal client? And by that, I mean like a couple of different things, right? So just because you feel passionate about an area, there might or might not be demand, right? For that client, like there might, or for that service, right? So that's like one side of it. So I guess, how do you speak to your ideal client while at the same time knowing that there's actually demand for those services that you're providing. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And I have a couple of ideas about this. One is I think it requires that we get into deep self-inquiry and connection with ourselves because sometimes I think we're like randomly picking who we want to serve or who we're supposed to serve. And it is random. It's like from the ego mind that says, oh, my colleague's doing this or so-and-so had success with this. So this is what I'm supposed to do versus really from a deep meditative self-connected state, waking up to like why you came to the planet and who you are here to serve and support. And so part of this is just practicing connection with ourselves So I think that when something is is really heart-inspired, there always is a need for it. 
which might be different than what other marketing people will tell you. Um, I tend to be a little bit on the, <laughs> the, the woo-woo spiritual side at times. And I do think that our heart really guides us. So if something's truly on our heart, I think that there is a way you know, to make that work and to really allow those people to, to come forth to you. Does that answer a piece of that question at least, Melvin? Yeah. So I think what I hear in that is part of this is like honoring what you're feeling in your heart, right? And being able to do the deep work in order to be able to articulate who it is that you're meant to serve and finding that language. Absolutely. And I think we're getting constant feedback from our practice about who these people are. So there tends to be themes that start emerging as we go into practice. The similar people would call like, I didn't know that my specialty was trauma until I got into practice and my phone kept ringing and ringing and I was sitting with these beautiful humans and I just understood. I just got it. Like the words would just come and the trainings I was drawn to and the the settings that I felt most comfortable and alive in were ones related to trauma. And then it became even more specific to holistically, um, energetically, intuitively treating early childhood trauma from an energetic and more holistic standpoint. But if you had asked me at the beginning of my career, if that's what I would be doing, I wouldn't have known because it took some time to really ease in to that experience to do that. So I'd also say, be gentle with yourself and know that your purpose and the extent of your purpose and who you're supposed to serve can reveal itself over time. It's okay if you don't know day one. It helps, but you also can't force it. At the same time, I want to be really clear that you can support yourself in coming to it perhaps more quickly and it evolves and there's a time and a space of your vision. And I think of our practice and our purpose and even our ideal clients like children, right? We can be their guide, but we can't force them to do different things. We can try, but that's going to create a lot of conflict and power and control dynamics. And if we think of our vision and our purpose as something outside of ourselves, like it's an entity of its own, we can actually ask our purpose and our practice, like, show me who you are, show me how I can be a a servant to you and to the purpose versus all this heavy lifting of like trying to figure something out before it's ready to reveal. That's such a good way of looking at it. I don't know. I, I feel like even in my own practice journey and in business journey, I feel like patience has been like the biggest thing I've had to learn. And I don't know, it's like, I call it like holding a position loosely. Yes. Um, even as I think about, cause I, you know, I jumped back into private practice here in the last year. And initially when I first started, I was like, oh, I'm going to work with entrepreneurs and I'm going to specifically work with this niche of, you know, entrepreneurs who struggle with sort of the fear of failure. But and so I wrote like all this web copy out and I thought it sounded good. It got feedback and they're like, it sounds great. And, but then what I realized is, you know, entrepreneurs, when they're, they may have this fear of failure, but that's not how they're categorizing themselves. Whereas I was categorizing it as you're an entrepreneur that struggles with this, right? Yeah. Like, and so I don't know, even that was like very humbling for me. Even I had to like take a step back and be like, you know what, maybe the, sort of sub niches like entrepreneurs and is entrepreneurs. And then within that copy, I can say, you know, here are some of the things, right. Um, as opposed to, I don't know if that makes sense, but 
It totally does, Melvin. It reminds me of something another one of my mentors always says, which is sell them what they want, give them what they need. Mm -hmm. And I think that's another thing is when we try to talk to our clients from our level of awareness, like what we know that they need, it can create a disconnect sometimes, right? So if the intention is for them to feel seen, heard, and understood, we have to really understand and talk to them from the level of awareness that they have about their problem and what they think is actually going on. And then once they're in the door, we can actually explain to them and use our relationship to help catch them up to speed about what's going on behind the scenes that they might not yet be aware of. So I think that's one of the challenges in the health and wellness world is when we try to use jargon or diagnostic terminology or things that we're all familiar with, which is, you know, fun and all this fancy stuff. But do they know that? Is that what they're putting in Google? Is that what they think is actually going on? And I think what you were just talking about is a perfect example. You knew there was fear keeping them from up-leveling or taking their business to the next level, but did they know that that's what was keeping them stuck? Right. Yeah. No, you further articulated it for me. Thank you. I wanted to wrap up by just really practical. If you could sort of think about the three tips, just all of your experience, all of the coaching you've done, your personal experience, if you could think of three tips that you would share on attracting an ideal client, what would those be? Absolutely. So we've talked a little bit about them already, and I I love that we're going to get really narrow and specific here. So the first is know who they are. Who are you trying to talk to? If you try to talk to somebody without knowing who they are, it's like closing your eyes and shooting you know, an arrow at a target that you can't see, right? So we need to know where we're targeting. So who are the ideal clients that you're trying to reach? Then number two, clearly communicate with them. Notice any fears about being specific and honor those fears and allow yourself to get specific so that these clients can feel deeply seen, heard, and understood. And they begin to develop a level of trust and connection with you and they hire you so that you can help them. And the third is go where they are. Put your marketing on autopilot by connecting with other people and other organizations that are already serving your client, perhaps in another capacity. For example, doctors, psychiatrists, health clubs, you know, if you're working with parents, maybe you're going to PTA or schools or fitness locations, be really creative about who you talk to about what you do so that they can talk to your ideal clients on your behalf. I call this putting your marketing on autopilot by building referral partnerships, right? We can talk direct to our clients, but we can also talk to colleagues and connect with people who are already talking with our clients and then that gets the clients in the office for us. Yeah, I mean, and that last point brings me to this idea, which I've, it's like a painful lesson I've learned, which is mm-hmm. in sometimes like we can scream from the mountaintops about how a service or a product we provide, how awesome it is. But if it's a trusted colleague that shares that on our behalf, I feel like over and over what I've learned is like that really has like five or 10 times the weight. Absolutely. I wanted to articulate, just go go deeper into these three points because they were just so good. So the first one is know who they are. So practically, what is this like? Are we looking at like age, like, you know, those kind of things, like interests, hobbies, like wh- how deep are we going in terms of knowing who our ideal client is? The deeper, the better often. With the caveat, I'll say not to 
spend so much time doing it that we're not actually getting out there and taking the inspired action to connect and communicate with them. But, you know, one of the exercises I've done is developing an ideal client avatar where we really think of this as talking to one person. So how old are they? What's their name? What is their life situation? You know, where do they work? Where do they play? What are their symptoms? What do they want? What are their deepest wishes, hopes, and dreams in life? And where are they now that's keeping them from getting there? So if you think of it as one person and you're talking to that one person, it actually helps to really hone in. So all the people that are in this category begin to come to you. You will get a trickle of other people, but you will get the majority of people that you're really called to serve because they will feel like you really know them and get them. I was thinking when you said that avatar, so like questions about like, what are their fears? Where are they stuck? Where are they now? Like, where do they want to? So it sounds like that itself could be a springboard for like content that you have on the blog, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is continued evidence and proof that you do get them because you are teaching them and talking to them about these issues. This might be what you're putting on social media. This might be what you're writing articles about. Absolutely, Melvin. I think that's a great, a great point. Carrie, this again, I feel like I'm full of silly questions today, but I love your questions. (laughs) uh, When you're creating this content, right? So let's say that we have this avatar and we're answering these questions and now we're creating content. So is it wise to then figure out like where they're hanging out on social media or how they're consuming content? Or is it wiser to just say, you know what, I'm going to put this on Instagram. I'm going to create a video. I'm going to create a podcast. Like what's the, I don't know. I feel like I know the answer, but you know, I I wanted to hear from you. Yeah. For me, this is twofold. I mean, it's, and this might be like an interesting or a unique perspective, but I don't suggest that you market in a way that's not authentic or congruent to you. So if you don't like hanging out on social media, even if some of your clients are there, Mm. there are also other places. So we want to find that sweet spot where you like hanging out and you feel comfortable shining and being noticed and allowing yourself to be visible and your clients are also hanging out there as well. So yes, some of these things and places might be a little bit out of your comfort zone, Like if your clients are consuming a lot of video content, for example, but you don't love being on video, maybe you would have a YouTube channel and you would share the videos where you want to versus doing Facebook lives that might feel a little bit more vulnerable because you can't control the content as much as it's coming out of your mouth live. So do you kind of feel where I'm going with this, Melvin, where it's like, we want to stretch our comfort zone a little bit to meet our clients and go to those places. But if we sell ourselves out completely and create a strategy that's not really authentic to us, even if our clients are hanging out there, we end up not really connecting with them because we're not in our own authenticity. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. I, I actually, I'm so glad you presented it that way because I think even for me, what I've often thought is, okay, where is my ideal client? And what do I need to do in my marketing to help them to support them, right? But it's not honoring where am I in the process, right? So maybe, for example, I've tried Facebook Lives several times and I just get so nervous, you know? And But it's weird because I can do webinars, I can do podcasts, I can (laughs) do other stuff. But yeah, I don't know what it is about the Facebook Lives. And I can even do videos. I'm better at videos now. But it is interesting because I, 
I like the way you articulate that. Cause I think for me, what I heard is I don't need to put all this pressure on myself to be on a platform that makes me completely uncomfortable while at the same time I should be able to say, you know what, can I stretch myself? Like, is this like something that's merely a discomfort or is this like an absolute no? Yes, absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that people tend to do a marketing plan that somebody else gave them and it doesn't work because it might not be congruent with who you are and how you're meant to be visible. And so I think that's one of the uniquenesses. Yes, there's all of these options for marketing and we want to know what is your best and highest expression to be able to connect with those people because your energy, your vibration, your ability to really radiate out in your highest form is what's going to be a part of that client attraction as well. It's not just about going places and putting things there and hoping it works. It's about being deeply attuned to yourself and to your clients and taking inspired actions from that space that gets us the best results. As you were saying that, I was just thinking like, it's not just words on a blog post, right? But those words have power. And I feel like, especially in the nature of what we do, words have a lot of weight. And I personally feel like the words that we use, I mean, it's when clients are reading it, right? There's an emotional connection that's formed there. And if it's not something that's resonating for us, right? Clients pick up on that as well. Absolutely. That's the frequency of our words. I call it energetic marketing. Whenever I'm reviewing copy or writing copy with my healer clients, I review it not only for like structure and strategy and does it make sense like in the mind. It's like, how does this feel in my body? And if there's a line where I can't feel the healer, I'll say, hey, where are you with this line? Like, can you say that out loud? What do you feel in your body when you say it? It feels like there's something off here. And usually it will reveal, oh, I was kind of afraid to say that. That's not the total truth. What I really wanted to say was this. And then we start to play with how can we get this aligned fully and completely so you become a client attractor and a magnet for your clients instead of a repellent. That's a great way of putting it. The second point, which I felt like that was uber clear. So you want to, and I think we we spoke a little bit about it. So communicate clearly. And it sounds like the the fears, as you're articulating their fears and their obstacles, it sounds like the key is as you're creating content. Again, I don't want to like put words in your mouth, but as you're creating like one piece of content, you want to address a specific fear, right? As opposed to like five of their fears. Absolutely. You know, we don't want to blow anybody's nervous system out or overwhelm them to a point where they have a hard time digesting what you've shared. So, you know, trust your instincts. Again, if you know your ideal clients well, you're going to know if they can handle, you know, two to three points or if they are so overwhelmed in life that they just need one. So that's another value of knowing your clients first, because that's going to inform every decision that you make moving forward when you're communicating with them, whether that's giving them content or inviting them to work with you. Carrie, the last question that I had was actually based on the the third point. You said, go where they are and specifically look for opportunities where people are serving them in another capacity. How in the world do you figure that out? (laughs) Great question. Yeah. How do you figure that out? So when you know who your clients are, I would suggest making a list of five to 10 other services, providers, organizations, spaces where they might be hanging out. So I'll use my practice as an example. So when I was working with with trauma survivors, other places they were hanging out were 
they were women primarily, so they're gynecologists or OBGYNs, victim service centers, like support groups, things like this. So those became my top referral sources. I would connect with gynecologists and let them know what I did. One, to be able to refer to them. So some of my clients would need these services and I could refer to them. The fastest way to build a referral partnership is to ask how you can help the other person before you tell them what you do or what you need from them. So I would call the doctor's office and say, hey, is Dr. So-and-so taking new patients? I'm a therapist in town and I would love to have a doctor that I trust to refer my clients to when they need this kind of support. And then we start to build the relationship from there. So yeah, who are the, the other people that are serving your clients? Not in the same way that you are, but they might be providing a different service. They don't want to do what you do, but their clients might need what you do. Does this start clarifying, Melvin? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. It's almost like, think of like our clients like in the center and think about where else, who else would be serving them in different capacities, right? Absolutely. I love that earlier example of like PTA meetings because like, and it makes perfect sense, right? Like where do, if your ideal clients are parents, you know, like where else would they be, right? Absolutely. And if we think about it, like, they need us just as much as we need them, right? So sometimes I think it's scary to call a potential referral partner because, you know, oh, are we burdening them? Or, oh, do they really care about what we're doing? But remember, like these people need clients in their office just as much as you need clients in yours. Mm -hmm. So when we can create a mutually beneficial connection, it's a win-win, which is what we want to create. So if you go in letting them know, I'm creating a referral network of, you know, a resource guide for my clients to have access to all these different services. And you're someone I'd want to include in that if it's a fit. Now we're talking, you know, I've never been turned away from a potential referral partnership when I've approached it from this standpoint. It's very collaborative and community oriented and connected versus competitive or just all about ourselves. Sometimes I think when we're scared, we can do narcissistic or desperate marketing and it's a turnoff to people, but this is just connecting. It's like, Hey, I want to help you grow your practice. Tell me what you do. Send me your cards. And Hey, I, I do this. If I can ever support, I'm here. Let's, let's talk about that. Carrie, I'm so grateful for you. I'm grateful for our friendship. You've got quite a bit of things happening. Uh, one of the things that's happening is you have an awesome event called Healers Code Live, which is happening in January of 2019 in sunny San Diego. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about it and where we can learn more. Oh, absolutely. I'm so excited about this event. I haven't been on stage in quite some time. My events the last few years have been a bit more intimate retreat style. So I really felt the call to gather 50 to 100 healers and helpers from around the globe in the same room where we can upgrade our abundance mindset and really step into a frequency of client attraction. So this will be a two-day transformational weekend where we're coming together to explore how we allow ourselves to be seen, to be heard, and to be hired from a really heart-centered perspective. We'll be talking about upgrading our abundance frequency, uh, working through our money stories and our the money consciousness of the healing community right now in our culture. And we'll be talking about some really soul-filled strategies so we can work from the heart versus the head alone and really activate a, a plan 
that helps us take inspired action that gets us the results that we want in our practice so we can make a living doing the work that we came here to the planet to do. Awesome. And um, how? what's the website where you can learn more? Absolutely. The site for that is healerscodelive.com. And you can see I'll have some guest speakers and all the details are right there. And I would love to meet you. If you loved my conversation with Melvin today, this is definitely a taste of the energy that we'll be playing in together. And I would love to have you. Awesome. Carrie, thank you again for doing this and looking forward to connecting soon. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me, Melvin. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Hey there, hope you enjoyed my conversation with Carrie. And especially if you have had questions about finding your ideal clients and having difficulty finding those clients and even just not sure of how to go about it. I hope that today's podcast session has just been a wonderful source of support for you. Carrie mentioned a number of resources. And again, you can find that on the show notes page over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session dash 177. So I was thinking uh, about what to share in this uh, outro about what I learned from Carrie's conversation. And the thing that really stuck out to me was figuring out where your clients are hanging out, but who is serving them in another capacity. And it doesn't necessarily have to be someone in healthcare. And I think that was very eye-opening for me, right? So I was, as Carrie was talking about that, I was thinking, okay, so if my ideal clients are entrepreneurs, where would they be hanging out, right? And I started to make a list. And I'm going to be making a list uh, after I get off recording this, but... Um, so one example might be like co-working spaces, right? And so these are places that a lot of bigger cities have um, and smaller cities as well, but where entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, they can work kind of in an office setting, That, and, but it's not like an office that they own. They kind of rent that office or they rent time in that office. Another place might be conferences. And so I have to articulate that a little bit more, but who, where, where would, what conferences would my ideal clients be hanging out in? And then another one is local meetups, you know, that might be a place where, so what I might want to do is look really at entrepreneur related, entrepreneurship related meetups, right? And uh, see the activity levels and those might be places. So I hope it's giving you some good ideas and, and I hope that you enjoyed today's session. And as a reminder, this will be the last session of 2018 and I don't know, as I reflect on this year, it's, um, it's been a year of a lot of change. Uh, I actually, one of the first episodes of 2019 will be on this, but I mentioned this in an earlier episode, but we had our, we had our baby, our first, um, our daughter, and she came to us a little early. And so we had a couple of weeks in the NICU, but thank, thankfully she's doing awesome and health wise and continuing to grow. But, you know, it's put a lot of stuff into perspective for me. I think before being a dad, I think I was so focused on monetary success and, and sort of influence and all of those things. And those things are important to me. But I don't know, I think having another person that uh, that is completely dependent upon you, it, it puts a lot of things into context. And so, I don't know, as I reflect on 2018, I think one of the things that I'm most grateful for is that uh, I was given an opportunity, one, to be a dad, and two, to have, to raise a daughter, and three, I think, just to given the opportunity to, to step back and realize where 
my priorities in life are. You know, I think for me, one of the things I always have to check within myself is that I, the entrepreneur side of me is so strong and the pull towards sort of significance and an income generation, all those are so strong that um, in that process, it's really easy for me not to be present and appreciate all of the great things that are happening in life. So, um, and I think that's a big reason why I, I decided rather than trying to you know, create two more podcast episodes. I'm just going to take a break and, and we'll be back in 2019 with episodes. And I think I haven't quite locked down on this, but I think going forward, what I'll probably do is take November and December off just because I feel like with holidays and things, it'll be a lot of things. And I want to spend a lot of time with our daughter and, and create memories during those seasons. I'm so grateful for you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you for sharing it with others. Um, It's amazing to see where this podcast has grown now to over half a million downloads and would have never expected any of this. And uh, the only reason any of this is successful is because of each of you. And uh, I'm just so grateful for you. Um, Have a wonderful holiday season and a a great start to your 2019. And uh, I'll see you in the new year. Take good care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. Hey, it's Melvin. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast session, especially if this is your second time listening to today's podcast session. I hope that it's given you some new insights that you can incorporate into your private practice. As we wrap up again, just wanted to share an invitation to consider joining us in the Selling the Couch directory, which you can find over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash directory. I actually wanted to use this time just to share uh, from my heart uh, kind of the big vision that I have for Selling the Couch. Uh, When I was in grad school, I had the opportunity to spend three weeks in Bombay, India, specifically in Kamatipura, uh, working with an NGO uh, that works in the red light district of Kamatipura. Kamatipura is the largest concentrated red light district in the world. And I just quickly wanted to share um, just two experiences that really uh, just shaped my heart and and shaped kind of the vision that I have for uh, for selling the couch and just for my own life. Uh, the first story is that, you know, the first day we were there, we actually went into the red light district. Um, I was fortunate to go with several social workers that had built relationships in the red light district. And I remember um, one of them asked me if I actually wanted to go into a, a brothel. And this was like at 1 p.m., like right in the middle of the day. And I was kind of, you know, a little cautious, but I said, okay. And so I went in, um, and I'm 5'10", and so the door that I went in through, I mean, I literally had to uh, just crouch to get in even through the door. And we went up these stairs, and the stairs were so steep, and we got to the very top, and I just happened to look down this hallway, and there was uh, this, this baby there. I mean, the baby was like maybe two or three years old and uh, come to find out uh, the mom actually had left the baby just outside the door because uh, she had a customer there and uh, just didn't want to expose the baby you know uh, to that kind of trauma and you know one of the things that I learned is uh, 
sex trafficking and the red light district, it's a very complex, multifaceted aspect, right? So, for example, you know, a lot of times these moms um, were sold into the sex trade by their own family because, you know, their family couldn't uh, afford um, afford certain things. And so, you know, they may have had like a family friend or someone, an acquaintance say, you know, there's, there's some opportunities in this other town. And, uh, and so if you, if you, you know, if you can give us your daughter, we can give her these opportunities. And, uh, it ends up, you know, these, these people then trade, uh, usually sell them into the sex trade. And so then, you know, these women, a lot of times are, they're having, um, just unprotected sex. And so they, um, end up having kids and, you know, and then a lot of times these kids, they're trying to take care of these kids. And, uh, this NGO, what they did is they decided to work with these women and said, you know, Hey, we'll take your kids for you. We'll raise them up. We'll give them schooling. Um, we'll give them a safe environment. And so the majority of my time, um, I actually spend about five hours away at this school, at this academy. And uh, what I got to do is every day I got to spend time with the kids. I got to teach classes. And one of the most, uh, the second little, little story that I wanted to share was one of my most favorite memories was uh, going with the really young kids. And uh, a lot of times, um, you know, these kids don't know who their fathers are, right? And uh, and so what we would do is um, I would read them a bedtime story and just tuck them into bed. And I just saw uh, the joy on their faces because, you know, that was something they just never had before. And I could tell just how grateful they were to be there. And, uh, you know, I, I knew that after that trip, you know, what I often thought is, you know, I really hope I have the opportunity to do some things in the world, um, some big things. I never expected selling the couch to get as big and to grow to the level it has. And I imagine as it, as these years pass, it will continue to grow. And what's often weighed on my heart is, you know, what is the point of me creating this? Is it just to uh, create a bunch of podcast episodes or a bunch of blog posts or have a community that helps us in our private practice journey. Yeah, sure, that's an important part, but what is the bigger vision? And for me, it's, you know, using these resources that we've been given to make a big impact in the world. And so we're actually using 50% of the profits from STC directory sales to creating a scholarship fund um, for these kids and these men and these women who've been rescued from brothels so we can do we can provide everything from tuition and books all the way to healthcare screenings and all of those different things. Um, I hope, uh, you know, as, as I have some big visions that, you know, as we continue to grow, including even trips in abroad into India where some of us can go there, maybe many of us will go there, and um, can't wait to share that with you. You can learn more about the directory over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash directory and more about um, some of the stuff that we're doing with sex trafficking. And be sure to enter the promo code podcast at checkout to get your first month absolutely free. Have a great rest of your day. Bye. So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while, or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business. Just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. 
it's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching. So it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.